Most of us are great when we get into a groove, but where we really struggle is those transitions. Yep, the transitions, the adjustments can really be a bitch. Well, we're going to talk to someone today who's gone through several of those transitions and managed them remarkably well. Transitions into a role unlike a role they've ever had before, transition into a role as a first-time CEO, and then transition out of that CEO role to go take what he calls a breath. All today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place Podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Will. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Very excited to have Samir on today. He is an old friend from SAP. I've known him for years. Uh, just fantastic individual. He has a great story to tell, not only about transitions, as we said during the intro, but also this idea of managing a team and finding emotional equilibrium. That's right. That's a term you're going to want to remember and adopt in your cultures today. But I'm going to let Sabir talk about it. One of the big things that's great about him is his tenacity for transitions, his ability to move through them, embrace them, look at that change, and learn something about himself along the way, and how he's got the right mindset and philosophy to take those little adjustments in life as they come. So with that, let's take it away, Samir. Samir, as we start with everybody on the podcast, who are you and why the hell are you here? (laughs) (laughs) First, thank you for having me. Um, and it's awesome to connect again after a long time. So uh, my name is Samir Patel. Um, I am, let me tell you about myself. I um, have uh, been in Silicon Valley for the last 20 years, um, have a unique pathway to uh, the U.S. for a guy who's not uh, from here or is Indian. I was born in the U.S. I lived in India, competitive squash there all my life, came here when I was 18, thought I was going to be this guy who's going to go into finance and work on Wall Street. Uh, took me about I don't know eight months after my first, after graduating with that finance degree to know that I was never going to do that. <laughs> uh, found you know said I like this computer stuff. Found a degree at BU uh, which got me a crash course in MIS in a year. Got to California in '99, haven't left. Uh, worked through the dot com days um, on services side. Got a fabulous opportunity to work at SuccessFactors SAP you know, through 2012. Took over as CEO of a company called Kahuna, which we can talk a little about in a bit. Yep. And like you correctly said, um, or almost correctly said, taking not a break, but taking a breath. There we um, go. Taking a breath. That's what I'm doing right now. Um, but anyway, excited to connect with you again, man. Perfect. Well, good. Well, um, yeah. So as you know, as you had intimated, we we've, we've known each other from prior lives, worked together in the past, and uh, and I you know saw that you were taking that breath and wanted to get you on the podcast so we could we could talk about that. So you know, let's let's talk a little bit about going into big structure, big enterprise because that's going to set us up nicely for the CEO role and then the the two big pieces we want to talk about. But you know, you came in from a somewhat non traditional perspective like you weren't just a big enterprise guy moving from enterprise no. company to enterprise company we see that all the time IBM to Oracle to SAP to Salesforce you didn't take that route you took something a little bit different and I think that sets you up nicely for where your career has led you today sure without a doubt um, yeah I mean I think you said it correctly you know I had I, I got to California um, you know uh, via a professional services uh, opportunity at a company called March first which was 
one of the big internet consulting companies that came about in the dot-com days. And, um, you know, the big audacious goal back then was, hey, we can take on the Accentures because this new thing called the internet has shown up and it takes a different kind of scale and on and on and on. Um, you know, I, I did that for a couple of years uh, until the, the, the dot-com implosion happened. Um, and then I went off on my own. I had a whole sort of really awesome companies uh, that I've been working with on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, March first kind of imploded. It didn't, you know, it wasn't like, just kind of died. Um, and we had a bunch of companies that said, hey, you're running all these accounts for us, you know, big names in Silicon Valley, you, you know, a whole bunch of people working on your teams, they're laid off, you know, we kind of still need to work. And I literally was like, all right, give me 48 hours, I'm going to incorporate and we won't stop the work. And, yeah. you know, we had a whole bunch of people who had lost their jobs, they didn't know what they were doing. And I was like, don't worry about it. We just, we're going to, we're going to, we've got the customers, I'm going to keep working. And I blinked and it was eight years, right? I uh, did that. <laughs> Did that for a lot of time, had a ton of fun. Um, to your question about the transition, I think this is an important one because you correctly, very astutely sort of, you know, pointed out that, um, uh, you know, it was, it, is a, it was a very non-traditional way to get to enterprise. And I feel like, I want more people to hear the story because I feel like sometimes people get trapped um, yeah. on one side of the discussion and you don't feel like you can make that switch. And I would love to tell you that I had this all premeditated what I did. I had some really good guardian angels who were, you know, looking out for me, circumstances, um, uh, and, and things kind of came together. But had I not been open to the idea of doing it, it would, that first step, I hadn't taken that first step. The other pieces would have never fallen. So here we are, 20, uh, 2012. Um, I spent, you know, better, pretty much my entire Silicon Valley or tech career in consulting. Uh, I had, you know, the work and thought, you and I kind of probably tangentially knew each other even before I came to FAP, just because yep. I think we saw sort of, we, we were in the same circles. Mm -hmm. uh, and if you may or may not remember back then, you know, two, three years leading into my time there, a lot of the consulting work we had done had been around this whole concept of employee performance and employee performance management. And the whole idea was... You know, you had the SAPs and success I'm sorry, the SAPs and Oracles of the world building system of record software, right? CRM, ERP, supply chain, on and on. Um, but nobody was really thinking about systems of engagement. All of the stuff that happened between those moments that you went into your CRM system to update, you know, put some contact information, or you went into some performance review system to talk about your performance. What about the performance of the work? Like none of these systems are actually doing that. These were just recording systems. And so we did a ton of that work, which led to me getting very involved in the Enterprise 2.0 movement, in you know, uh, uh, people trying to look at how do you bring these social constructs to the enterprise. And a ton of my work was there. Like you, um, as you know, I was sort of keynoting events you know, all over the world. I was, I was, I blog at Pretzel Logic. I still blog at Pretzel Logic about the topic. And I'd gotten into the influencer circles of SAP and Successful and Salesforce and Oracle and a bunch of companies. And I was 38 years old and, you know, I, and I'd been around software because I was spending a lot of time with the vendors, although I was doing the consulting side. And I was like, I'm 38. This might be a good time for me to make this decision and say, you know, do I want to build a career in consulting or do I want to look at products? And here I am in Silicon Valley. A lot of the energy and excitement is going around products. And, you know, it's surprising as a consultant, you, 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 you have such a good purview of all the, you know, where all the dead bodies and the warts lie <laughs> that you actually have a inbuilt 
really good appreciation for if I had to do this, how would I have done? Yeah. And I'll make one sidebar comment because I think it's a really important one. I don't want to forget it. And I hope people do this is, um, you know, one thing I would advise everybody who's listening to this and is ever in the position of changing their jobs and is in Silicon Valley and working for a software company, the one place you want to go do a reference on the company you're about to join is, you know, we all got to ask people and we ask customers, all good stuff. Always go find someone in professional services. They will tell you where the words lie and they will tell you how easy mm-hmm. is this thing to really implement, how easy, you know, do customers actually use it. So I had that benefit being on the other side. Now, so that's one. Point number one, I made that choice and said, yes, I want to give this thing a, a swing. I think I've learned enough and I think it'll bring value to it. Where the, you know, where the stars align, and I love to, I just want to always make sure that, you know, we all rise on the backs of somebody in life and, you know, people, people help, some people will come out and help you and, and they'll look out for you. And, and I had, you know, sort of two people who gave me that opportunity to take that massive swing when I wanted to make such a big shift with arguably no paper, um, uh, you know, no, no, no experience on paper in terms of this guy hasn't run a software business for 20 yeah. years whatever. Um, and the two people who, you know, um, who gave me that break, one was Sanjay Poonan at SAP, who we all know, yep. and Lars, and Lars Dalgaard, uh, the, uh, you know, the co-founder of uh, SuccessFactors. Um, and Sanjay, you know, and we talked about, um, you know, this was time when SAP, as you know, was trying to get into that business. Salesforce was making a lot of noise around the space. There were a bunch of vendors who had come out to do that. And I think at the board level of SAP, they were like, we kind of need to do something here. And Sanjay and I talked and Sanjay was like, look, I know you don't come from software, but what we really need is somebody who can do category definition to run the business. You know, we need the, we need both the street cred, somebody who has the sort of authority in the market to say that, oh, we've hired somebody who actually knows what they're doing, can help SAP, you know, build a brand in a space where they're traditionally not known for this kind of stuff. And so... You know, um, and then by the time I kind of got to SAP, Lars had taken over the business and Lars, you know, I went through his whole interview process, which anybody will tell you is not a, it's not a uh, easy, it's not, it's not painful, but it's not simple. Lars is a you know, pretty, uh, he's a tough customer. Yeah. And, um, and so long story short is, you know, you know, he, we kind of connected on, this is the problem we need to solve right now, which is really market awareness. And somebody who's seen 25 vendors do this stuff and we can figure out like, what should the product strategy be and then build a narrative in the market, right? So the takeaway for people who are looking to make this kind of a switch is don't get too caught up in, well, I'm a services person, I can't go to software. No, what's the need of the hour? The need of the hour back when, when I joined was we've got product managers, we've got great engineers at SAP, we've got all those pieces. What we need is there's too many players in the market. What's the, what's the differentiated market strategy? Yeah. What's the narrative we can tell? And then how do we pull that back and, and infuse all of that in how we build products and how we implement it on and on? And so, you know, we literally took that business, I think, from like a million, million two to 70 million in four years, right? Like we, we crushed it in, you know, in, in every metric. So that was kind of my transition, you know, where 50% of what I was doing in services, I could bring to product and then I could rapidly load the other 50% which is how you build product. Yeah. Um, that helps. Yeah. So, and, you know, one of the things that I was thinking as you were, as you were talking and, and you're right, cause you called it out as the key takeaway a couple of times is I think people get uh, pigeonholed by themselves 
and and maybe even by a few conversations where somebody says, "Oh, you seem like a so and so person. You, you know, you're a product person, or you're a CRM person, or you're just a yeah. retail person, or you're in the insurance industry, whatever that is." Uh, yeah. I talked to someone the other day who is a great ops person, and they've been in finance for years, and they're like, "Well, I don't know that I can transition into tech." And it's like, yeah. you absolutely can transition into tech. Don't get in your own way. You're a phenomenal right. ops person, and those skills yeah. translate no matter where you go. And, yeah. and so I think, you know, you, you took this, it might not have maybe felt like it, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, but you yeah. took this risk, right? You took this, this risk to make this transition, yeah. but you went through the process, you talked to people, and people had your back. And I think yeah. that's also one of the keys, too, is you had sponsors and mentors and people around you that believed in you and gave you the oh. pathway to be successful. Oh, and without a doubt, and while we're talking about that, since I mentioned two names, well, I have to mention one more because those were sort of, you know, Sanjay Lars were, you know, getting into the building in that yeah. sense, right? Getting right. Role. But then I show up at the company and here's a guy who admittedly doesn't know software, right? Knows all those other things. And I worked from the day I got there for a guy by the name of Aaron Al, who was the largest co-founder of SuccessFactors. Mm-hmm. And I worked, you know, for a lot for Aaron until the day I left. And again, who, how do you get a better boot camp at that than working for the co-founder of a company like SuccessFactors, right? Yeah. I mean, pretty amazing. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Like I just remember, you know, um, I mean, Lars was the culture. Lars built at SuccessFactors was it was so brutally commercial, and I say that in a good way. That, you know, Aaron as an CTO and co-founder, that's the only world he knew how to build software. Like he, you know, he's one of those few people, I think, who um, had a very, very um, astute sense of how to get from point A to point B the fastest um, using software versus, in, you know, versus necessarily elegance or completeness or what have you. Um, I, what I learned about how, you know, to run and build product teams, um, that are sales tuned. And I'm not saying certainly he's the only one, Espresso is the only one, but yeah. I, I got one of the most legendary ones that to this day is, I think, one of the biggest success stories in Silicon right? You know, in terms of a SaaS cloud company. So anyway, well, I'll let you go on, but like, I think, I think, you know, I still remember, you know, we got to like five million and I'm like, dude, Aaron, what the fuck do we do now? How do we get to 10? You know, and you just, I, having someone like that, you can just sort of work with was uh, good. I mean, Aaron and I, you know, you know, and I, he's a good friend of mine and we certainly didn't agree on everything and we had our moments too, but <laughs> you know, the net of it is, you know, you come out of it with, um, um, just knowing, you know, the, the business had 10 customers or five customers or something like that when I came and we had 15, 20, 30, we didn't have a CS organization. Like we had a building. Right? Yeah. So anyway, but I, you know, these are important things where I think you made a really astute point, which is A, don't get into your own way and B, be really cognizant about who can actually help you get that faster. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and I think those are the big takeaways, right? Those are the things that are portable for anybody listening because people won't be able to sit down and go, oh, well, okay, I can just follow Samir's blueprint, right? Samir's blueprint works for Samir. What we need to do is say, okay, let's, let's not get in our own way, right? Let's not pigeonhole ourselves and say, well, I can't do that because I'm a blank person. Let's go find people that can uh, have your back, guide you, be your mentor's guides, like find that book of that book of advisors around you. Right. So we had uh, Karen Wickery who wrote a book on networking. 
she came on and talked to us about, you know, how we think about building this core board of advisors around us, that the purpose of networking internally or externally is not just to have a bunch of coffees and have as many business cards as you can, but to find that board of advisors around you, they're going to guide you and steer you and connect you and help you be successful. You know, and I, just real quickly, I think that's another really important point uh, that you made there. And I will tell you that like, if, you know, I look at, we'll talk about what, you know, things that I think I did well and I think I could have done better. Um, And this is more specific to Kahuna and we'll get to that in a minute. I actually don't think I did a great job of that, you know, looking back at Kahuna, right? And I think that the takeaway there too is, you know, in being in a CEO position, first time CEO at a new company, you know, your head's underwater for a long time, you know, especially in my case, it was turnaround. It wasn't even like something that's humming nicely and you see people to grow what, you know, what's working. Um, I do think that, you know, in hindsight, I was, I, I put the time out, I spoke to people who could have been advisors, I had great conversations, I just got busy and I didn't really, I could have done a better job, you know, so sorry myself for that. So I think, again, we can come up with fabulous excuses, when, especially when you're running, you know, like, in, like a high pressure job, like a senior job, as to why you don't have time for that, but uh, make time for that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the key takeaways and that one's look, it's uh, it's great advice, but it's also hard to follow. And, and I think we also have to be, you know, we have to recognize and say, look, you're building a business, you're growing, you know, you should do it and you're probably getting good advice to do it, but actually doing it is a challenge. Um, one thing I want to, before we go into the transition from SAP into, you know, your first CEO role and what that looked like and, and why I think that's so important. One of the things I want to call out about you that I think was also a hallmark of your success, both back then getting into SAP and has been something you've continued with is you have never been shy about having a point of view and articulating that point of view. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be controversial. It doesn't mean that you're putting something out there to be forward and be, um, you know, revolutionary, but you've always come out and said, here's how I personally think about what's happening in the marketplace. You went on social media, you had great presence there you articulated yourself really well, and you're always able to come forward and say, this is how I perceive the marketplace. Happy to engage in conversation, happy to engage in debate, happy to have other people pile on and tell me that there's other things to consider here. But you were always so good at that. In fact, that was one of the things that when we were at SAP, we're so excited to have you on board because here was someone who came in with a point of view. And, and we knew we could then interact and engage with you. And I think it's one of those things that makes leaders really human and approachable because they're out there sharing their thoughts and insights and you feel like you can connect with them and have that conversation. Yeah. I'm first, thank you for those kind words. I, uh, um, but yeah, I do, I do think that, um, I do think that that is absolutely the hallmark of, you know, the, the, the success that I've had. Um, and, and, and again, this is a great lesson for, I think, anybody who's, you know, maybe a step or two behind in their transition, you know, from where yeah. I am. Um, you know, if you think about how I describe sort of me making, you know, morphing, if you will, from services to product. And, you know, my, me having conviction around, you know, you know, certain things that I could take from that services avatar a world that I lived into product avatar and and as importantly people like Sanjay Lars and everybody kind of like agreeing with that and saying that the need of the hour the tip of the spear for this trans- transformation we want to make we SAP we forget the name right is 
we need a voice in the space. We need essentially a point of view in the space. It's a really crowded space. We need legitimacy. We need street cred, whatever you want to call it. And, and, and that was more important than, hey, we need a guy who's had 62.75 years in product management, right? And then yeah. uh, that, this person can hire those people. So I had conviction and they bought it. Takes two hands to clap. But what was common amongst that, the Venn diagram, if you will, was mm. I, I, I did know the domain better than anybody else. Yes. So they were like, he knows the domain and he knows how to build a narrative. And I, and we know that the minute he walks in the building, you know, the analysts will start paying attention. Everybody will start paying attention. They don't have to love what I do, but they will, they will come to listen. Yeah. On him, right. You know, and I still remember I joined SAP and, you know, Sapphire as for the audiences, SAP's annual event was literally in three months of me joining. And I have to like get in front of everybody and be like, this is what this is strategy that we're doing. <laughs> no pressure. And no pressure, right? And But the truth is, you know, to your point about it being in an authentic, approachable way, um, you know, a lot of the analysts and all came to the event to listen because that authentic relationship had been built long before I showed up at SAP. Sure. Right. And, you know, they came because they're like, dude, we're rooting for you, you know, because yeah. you've been on your blog and you've commented and you've come to mind and you just have to succeed. And I also had something else going for me, which to this day I have is, you know, you were one of these people. I was this back in the day in 2012. You know, we were the OG of blogging, enterprise blogging, at least, right, back then. And you had a bunch of people who had started their career in the media business as bloggers. They're like, holy shit, like somebody who, like a seat like a GM of a business and a blogger, like, yeah, you know, and, and you had all these things built in. Anyway, so what's the Venn diagram? Venn diagram commonality is knew how to tell a narrative, knew the story, knew the domain, and, you know, and you can learn the rest. Transition from success factors, SAP to Kahuna, and again, yeah. me having conviction in exactly that same Venn diagram, Right. Um, on, you know, how I build teams and, you know, what, what excites me about a new business, which is usually noisy market, undifferentiated software, you know, you know, people are thinking too tactical, CEOs and boards don't care. <laughs> how do you kind of, like, get, you know, get the, get the business to, you know, you want the valuation of the business not to be a multiple of the revenue. You want it to be 10x of the multiple of the revenue. And that only comes yeah. by you setting the problem statement up to be way bigger than your software, right? So enter Kahuna. Kahuna is now MarTech. I don't know MarTech. Like I'm not, I mean, sure, I built some products for Hybris. Sure. And, I, and, and I, we've all built around CRMs. So it's not foreign. It's not like I went to diagnose, medical diagnostics, right? <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I came from success factors building primarily for HR. Um, but if I go, if I remember what got the board and the investors interested in wanting to talk to me was, again, doesn't know the domain. That's okay. Need of the hour is we need somebody who noisy market. Can we step out? Can we figure out how to, you know, it's those sort yeah. of skills that you can now, I can take to supply chain tomorrow. I, it doesn't really matter. Like if yeah. you look at the companies that have come my way and I'm looking at right now, like you'll be shocked. I mean, they have nothing to do with collaboration, you know, some do, some do, but there are security companies in there. There's all sorts of stuff in there because again, really good, you know, investors or interviewers or executives at a company, what have you, 
they know how to parse out those pieces. And I feel, you know, if I felt confident going from services to SAP, some part of that comfort came from, hey, you know what? I don't know product, but I know the domain better than anybody else. Yeah. You know, Kahuna, I didn't know the domain, but I was even more confident now that the domain doesn't matter. If I'm jazzed about the problem statement and I really believe it, I can tell a great, I can build a narrative around the company, right? So I think, again, you know, for people listening who are a couple of steps sort of, you know, behind me, not in terms of, you know, success or anything, but just in terms of their trajectory or project progression or a career standpoint, you know, keep focusing on the things that you can actually parse out, right? And the things that make you different. Well, and, and one of the things that was really interesting here was, so, so you've identified these skills for you that are portable, right? And yes. you authentic voice, good storyteller, right? You can come in and, and be enthusiastic about the business. You can articulate the problems. You can get out in the marketplace and you have, you have a, a believable, authentic persona that people listen to and believe and trust, right? You've built trust in the marketplace and you've not wavered from that trust. And so those things are all portable and again, allowed you to not get stuck into, I'm a this person and here's the next logical step for me and here's how I have to box myself in my career. You've moved from, I had subject matter expertise, but not the skill sets. Now I've got the skill set and now the subject matter expertise, but you've been able to compensate for both of those and you've known how to do that. And that's, that's I think, the hallmark of good leadership, but also great advice for people as they're thinking about, okay, maybe I'm a step or two behind Samir. I'm moving my way up in a career. I'm thinking about taking my first CEO role. How should I think about this? Where should I think about this? And following those sort of footprints, I think, are really key. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, but, you know, you, you, you touched on this when I think hard about, like, okay, what if somebody has all those things we just talked about, right? Let me put it this way. There are many people who have all those things we talked about, but nobody knows they exist. Um, yeah. And so... You know, the blogging, the writing, those things were instrumental, right? I mean, it's always interesting to me, you know, because I've interviewed people. I mean, obviously, you have, we all have, right? And you're sitting on the other side of the fence, so the other side of the table. I'm always humbled, bewildered, like whatever, baffled by how much people know about me when I walk into an interview. Yeah. I can guarantee that it's not because I'm like public or anything. This is, it's not because I'm famous or anything, right? This is purely because a blog post you wrote, a point of view, you know, stuck with somebody. And so the amount of content that's out there, you know, makes this very easy for someone who wants to do business with me in any form, to, you know, whether they want to work at a company I'm running or they're looking, you know, to, Investor looking at have me look at a company, a CEO job of the company that they're that they're that they're hiring for. Um, you know, being that open book is super important because it also weeds out situations you probably don't want to be part of uh, yeah. because it's not your jazz, right? Like if somebody says, you know, we need a new CEO because the entire product is broken and it doesn't work and we need to refactor the code and this and that, like. I mean, every company has some of that, but if that's the tip of your spear, like you probably won't cause it. Right. And that's okay by me. That's, that's fine. Right? That, that's fine. Um, <laughs> that there's, that there's, there's some piece I take in that as well. One of the things that I love 
about C-Suite Radio is our, well, it's our sponsors. That's right, our sponsors. It's those people that help make this show live, breathe, and thrive and survive. So without them, we would be nothing. And I would hope that you would take a listen to them now. Thanks for listening to our sponsors. Now let's get back to our interview with Samir. So one, you know, one thing I want to, I want to spend a little time on and we can talk about, we'll talk about the transition into Kahuna and then we'll talk about the transition of what you're, what you're doing now and how you're thinking about it. But you know, what I think is really key is, okay, so we, we know, we all know the stories of the highly successful, maybe five time CEOs, those serial CEOs that have done a fantastic job and they just have the Midas touch and they go from place to place. And we yeah. know those stories because they're all written in Wired magazine. Okay. Then, then we know the founder who built the company from scratch in their basement and grew it and became the CEO and they've done a phenomenal job. What, what is less often told and what is your unique perspective on this is the first time CEO, right? Because everyone's got a first time, first time CEO being brought into an organization that's already been established, right? And so this journey for you of coming from SAP, you've had great success there. You've built a name and, and brand and a reputation for yourself and what you've been able to do for the company. Now you yeah. get tapped to come into this organization to become a first time CEO and you're in that particular role, an unproven product, right? Similar things. Have you had people believe in you? You you had the skill set. You you were the need of the hour. But you know that's a this is a first time leap of faith for both the board and organization, and for you to go into that first time CEO role. That's right. So how would you want to unpack that? Man, we could spend an hour on that. Oh my God! Yeah, no kidding. Well, so so you know, let's let's talk about like your first. You know, it's like the traditional thing, the first 30, 60, 90 days, right? You walk into this role and you're the first time CEO. What are the things that are going through your head? How do you start addressing and, and dissecting what's happening in the business? How do you get your arms around it? Especially again, for those people that are thinking, okay, I'm ready to take my first CEO role. How do I start thinking about this? Where do I go find it? But what am I going to do once I get in the hot seat? You know, it's funny. I mean, I, I think when you ask me that question, and I'm, my mind is like sort of going to different <laughs> Um, you know, and, 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 and I will tell you that the first 30, 60 days are, uh, um, if anybody listening, you know, has had a kid, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's akin to what the first year of your life was like when you had your first kid, which is, it's very hard to go back and actually remember just there's so much, there's so many changes happening around you, you yeah. know, your relationship with your spouse, the time spent, the, you know, everything is, you know, everything is, right? um, but, you know, I love that you pushed me to think about this because I, I, I'm always very cognizant of where does my mind go first before I try to train my mind about like, hey, think about this, think about that. Like, what, what was that first knee-jerk reaction? The first knee-jerk reaction answer to your question is, you know, I did this at Success Factors and you can, and, and SAP, and, you know, we share so many common friends from who worked on our teams there. That yeah. They would also, because I remember standing up doing in all hands um, uh, in Vancouver where we had most of our development team and similarly doing it in Redwood Shores uh, where we had the Kahuna team. And I don't think I had premeditated this, but this is the only way I know how to do it, which is, you know, you go through this entire interview process where you're learning more about the company you're about to take, your conversations with, you know, investors and some of the leadership teams and they're learning about you and you're starting to get to a point where again, you know, you've used the word authentic many, many times and this is where it comes in, which is 
there, there, there hopefully was some truly authentic reason why you thought this was an awesome opportunity for you to take that you could get guys about and not the long thing like, hey, you know, it's a CEO for CEO job that came to me while I was sitting in that seat. Like, you know, you, you, don't, you don't, those are all good things and you're proud of that, right? Um, and you're proud you got to this place where you're just looking at an awful letter to be CEO of a company. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's very easy to get pulled in by the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Arguably the most important thing, most important pivotal thing, and I say this less from the words that came out of my mouth, but more from looking at the reaction of the employee is how you need to get the entire company like super crazy fired up that first day when you walk in the building. And it's a function of how authentically fired up you were through that interview process because it's going to come across or it's not going to come across. You know, yeah. you can't fake it. This can't be some rah-rah story. This literally has to be a... All the thinking I did when I stayed up for two nights, thinking about leaving SAP to come here and making that decision, and before I write, wrote, signed the you know signed the offer letter, what were all those things that got me fired up? The conversations I had with my wife, why I was excited, and I need to put all of that into a into a presentation. I say that not meaning PowerPoint, but a a conversation with the team about why is it that we have a chance of a lifetime? What got me fired up? Why should you be fired? you have to take a big swing in that first meeting. That first meeting can't be, uh, let me tell you about my career, let me tell you what I did, <laughs> and you know, in 30 days I'll have a plan, too late. So I do think that you know, to sort of like screw on everybody's heads in the right direction and the right way, you know, you're likely going to have to do that. Remember, you know, a CEO gig or even the GM gig that I took at SAT, you know, unfortunately, unless it's like a late, late $100 million, or even $50, $60 million plus company, or, you know, close to the 100 I guess. I hate to say this, but like when a CEO gig is available for companies that are like sub 20, sub 30, or even like a GM role where they have two teams, like why did they need somebody else? Yeah. Something's broken. Like something's wrong. That's why they're looking for a new CEO. Okay? And that can manifest itself with, and mostly, and, and remember, your employees always know it. Don't ever underestimate how much right? And so, you know, you've got employees walking in who are either feeling defeated, they're feeling apprehensive, who's this new guy, right? Hmm. Um, uh, you, know, am I, you know, this is Silicon Valley, I can get a job in a month, right? Like, I, you know, do I want to stay? Do I not want to stay? Some have, some have mission, right? They were the employee number 10, wrote all the code, they're like, I'm not leaving yeah. this place. You have to be able to respect and respect those those feelings, those emotions, and be able to put something that is true and real in front of them to buy 30 days to come up with a more concrete plan. You, you walk into that first one buying time. That's what you're doing. You're buying time and you're saying, here's what I know, here's why I'm excited, here's why I took the risk, risk to come and take this job. You have to do that to be able to really, really set the tone. Now, in my case, it was also slightly easier back to the point we talked about earlier, which is they could Google me, right? They could be like, who is this yeah. guy? You know what? Go read five blog posts on his blog post. I'm like, that's the guy. And if you don't like the guy, start looking for a new job. And if you like the guy, that's the guy, right? Like for right. the SAP team, it was 
definitely easier because I was coming in into a domain they knew. They knew me. I knew them. They were like, awesome. Yeah. Like, somebody who can get the press to come and listen to what we're doing, you know? Um, so I think I think I spent a lot of time on that, you know, but I, I in this conversation, but I think that's a really important point, you know, that first impression is lasting impression, right? And you know how you how you manage that is important thing. Then after that, it's literally um, going in there and starting to really understand piece by piece, like what's working, why it's not working, custom you know, the entire customer life cycle, where the drops happening. Um, I think in hindsight. Um, you know, the one mistake that I think, uh, I mean, Kuna was definitely more of a turnaround in the SAP situation. SAP was not, like, you know, turnaround in some ways, but it, you know, I still, I think we had a lot more working for us at SAP that we yeah. could build from, right? Um, I think, um, I think, you know, when you walk into some of these, into a situation like this, you know, and, and this is important for anybody listening who's going to be a first time CEO, you know, you're generally told by the custodians of the company, whether that's an outgoing CEO or that's a board or that's an interim CEO, like, hey, here's what's working, here's what's broken. Yeah. Mistake I made is I'm like, awesome. This is working. You told me it's working. I want to go and try to fix what's working first and then come back. The mistake was, once you're in the building, and to that credit, you know, a board meets with the CEO four times a year. You know, they have one-on-one -on -one conversations. There's only so much they know. The reality is, no, no, what's broken is broken. What you said is not broken is broken. And, you know, had I had gone after some of those things earlier, I think there would have been a lot less pain. But, um, but I think that's one. I think the second thing you have to look for is... Um, I'm gonna, and this is a term I'm trying to coin, and maybe it's the first time I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it out there publicly. Oh, there um, we go. I like this. Is, Juicy. Yeah, is what I call um, emotional equilibrium. So we talk about EQ and IQ, and you know those are well understood terms. But I think there's a third one, which is what I call emotional equilibrium. And what I mean by emotional equilibrium, and this is more of a leadership conversation. This is not necessarily the whole team. This is about the yeah. team, right? which is, um, you know, your, the emotional, the EQ of the team needs, it's not about, you know, EQ, too much EQ is bad and too little EQ is bad or good. Like that, to me, that's secondary. The, the more important thing is everybody needs to be in that same band of EQ. Yeah. Right? Um, I'm not going to get into names here, but you will also guess what I'm talking about. But there are legendary, super crazy, successful companies, you know, in, in, by every measure, financial, market share, blah, blah, that are all about, we, 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 we hold hands together and we make decisions together and you have my back and I have your back. And that's how we build a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar company. Conversely, I can show you examples of every day you go into work and there's a knife in your back and someone's coming after you and, you know, doggy dog and whatever else you want to call it. They're also multi-billion dollar successful companies. Yeah. The difference between the two is you innately hire for people in that same, you know, you, you, the equilibrium is maintained. Now, leaders will be the kind of people, you know, I know what kind of equilibrium I want to attain for a company I run. It's, you know, but as a leader, you've got to make sure that you've got that going for you or you're recalibrating pretty early to have that because otherwise you're just not going to get stuff done. And as a CEO, you're going to be arbitrator of problems, you know, all the time, right? Yeah. I'm going to stop there for a second, but 
Does that, does that make sense? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so the couple of things that I heard that were really key is, so first, you know, your, your first step in the door being sort of the hallmark of where you're going to go going forward, I think was so key. Because what I hear from a lot of CEOs coming in is saying, all right, what's really important is I have that low hanging fruit and it's the first win. And what you're, what you were saying, which I think is so attuned is it's all about that first impression that I make on the enthusiasm that I had coming into the interview process, but how do I kick that off and get the team going in the right direction? I heard you talk a lot about trusting and engaging your employees and really believing in them and not underestimating them, knowing that they know exactly what's going on, that, that they can give you great insight. And then also, as you tie that in a little bit later onto your insights on, hey, the board's going to have a perspective, prior leadership's going to have a perspective, but really you need to come in and establish that for yourself because they're probably wrong, right? And I think we've seen that. I've certainly seen that at organizations that I've interviewed in where the board said, oh, you know what? Come in, head of marketing. Everything is working great. You've just got to fix these three problems. And you walk in and you're like, wait a minute, all those 10 things you said are working, they're not. And and really being attuned to that. Yeah, and I'll say one last thing there is this is really important too. Like, you know, also I want to make make one thing very clear. I mean, when I figured out the, hey, it's not all, you know, the things you said are fixed. From that day forever, like the board and I were always on the same page. It was not sure. like a, hey, no, let's argue this one. They're like, holy <laughs> shit, thanks for telling us. Like we, yeah. you know, we didn't know. So now that we have together sized up where ground zero is, now at least let's reset what really ground zero is and let's work our way up, right? So, you know, as a first time CEO, don't be afraid of that conversation. Remember, you didn't create the mess, right? Yeah. And, you know, there, and this is about you coming in establishing where ground zero is together mm-hmm. as a team and then coming up with a plan because otherwise any plan you come up with is going to be difficult to meet because you're, you guys are working off a different baseline. They think you're here, but the business is here, right? I mean, uh, we're on a podcast, I'm using my hand here, but they think there's, there's, you know, 40% fixed, 60% needs to be fixed and you're like, no, no, 10% working. And yeah. that's going to plan for 90, right? Anyway. Well, one of the things that's really nice, and, and it doesn't have to be the motivator, it doesn't have to be the purpose, but it can certainly be one of the outcomes, is one of the things that you have done by coming in and, and articulating what was really broken, what things really need to be fixed, and then doing that with the employees and with the board is you've immediately established credibility. You establish credibility with the board, right, because you're, you're coming in and and helping them to own things that have been broken and identify things that they were unaware of. You've established credibility with the employees because you've come in and recognized the things that are broken that they may have been looking at and saying, look, these things need to be fixed for us to move forward. And so you've created, you created a bridge between both of those organizations just by articulating and identifying the things that one team knew about and the other didn't. Yeah, and you know the case in point is, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, at least with Kahuna, we were, um, you know, the, the you know, a lot of people, you know, the company was number one in their space, dropped down to two or three. You know, the, the one of the founders was removed, and the board removed the other one, and a lot of turmoil for an employee base that was, we were rocket ship, we were number one, and now what the hell is this? And you know. All, all the things and the steps that, you know, you can, the steps, and, and I'm sure everybody has their own formula, but the ones I described to you in terms of what we did in the first 30, 60 days, 
in two quarters, we were best companies to work for. We, right, which is a complete employee survey, not, yeah. Um, okay, right. So, you know, I don't think people, I just don't think, you know, if you want to build resilient companies that go beyond the quarter to quarter metric, like this is stuff you have to well, and I liked your idea there, you know, of, of equilibrium and balance within the leadership team and being able to find that people had a common perspective and a common sort of band that they were working in. And, you know, to your point, it's spot on correct, right? If you've got, you've got 10 people on the leadership team and five of them are, hey, let's all collaborate and have your back. And the other five are, it's a zero sum game. There can only, there can be only one, right? The Highlander quote. And, yeah. and you, there's no balance in between the two of those. Well, now you've got two opposing teams, factions within your leadership that no matter how much you structure them, engage them in terms of processes or roles and responsibilities, they're still going to be at each other because emotionally, right? They're coming at it from two very wildly different perspectives and their outcomes are different. That's right. And remember, they're in, as you know, with every passing day, their entire teams behave that way too. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's infectious. So, so I think yeah. that, so let's see if we can get that term coined and make that yeah. part of the de facto right. Silicon Valley leadership standard. All right. So we've only got a couple of minutes left. And yeah. one of the things I want to spend some time on is, okay, you're, you're taking a breath, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I think it's something that people really react to. They love that you've come out and admitted this publicly I think we all try and shine on that everything we do is about, you know, about moving seamlessly from one thing to the next, that we're busy and we're employed and we're moving forward. And taking this little bit of time in between, I think, is something where people are now starting to do more often. They're taking notice when others do it. And you've had thoughtful intention around what you're doing. So let's talk about your breath right now, because I think this is really key. Yeah, so I think I think there's you know there's a couple of facets to it, um, and you know, and this is this is my version of what you will most often hear from people, which I completely respect. You know, when someone comes out of a you know sort of a crazy nut job situation like running a company, and good or bad, successful or not, like just it's the same amount of effort, in my opinion. Um, you know, usually the thing is like, Hey, I'm taking a breath. I'm taking a break. What are you doing? Uh, you know, I put on 40 pounds and I didn't want to sort of go down a marathon and, you know, and, and I respect that. Like if you did, you know, I've, uh, I think uh, you and I may have talked about this, but you know, I was a athlete all my life. I was a nationally ranked squash player and I still play the game. And so I didn't have that problem as much as other things, which are, you know, definitely sort of, you know, fell by the wayside. You know, I was pretty good at this health in terms of physical activity. Um, but I do think that, uh, for me, you know, this time of taking a breath has got to do a lot more with taking, we're getting back in shape mentally. Right. And, um, and I think personally we deteriorate mentally much more than we do physically when we're constantly in the boxing arena, but the physical Mm -hmm. attributes seem to show more. Right. And so, you know, you're like, Hey, and my jeans don't fit. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, so the question becomes, it's almost like there's four things that I think, you know, I spend most of my time on, I think, um, in, in the last couple of months. And, you know, the first one is, um, I think when you are in the, in the zone, you know, in the battle, getting punched every day, taking punches, uh, I think the one thing that we, uh, we get into is, is we start to, um, uh, take uh, shortcuts, and um, and and there's a lot more sort of like quality, you know, quantity over quality. And so, to me, 
you know, rethinking, you know, the growth mindset piece and trying to just take stock of like, how am I doing on the growth mindset spectrum in terms of how I run my consumption habits, right? What are my consumption habits like? And I think we take shortcuts and ultimately end up sort of favoring channels that are designed for, you know, fast and easy consumption versus, um, uh, uh, and convenience, right? Um, so whether it's products we buy, things we eat, media we consume, we're all about convenience, faster, 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 because we don't have time, we don't have time, we've got to run a company, we don't have time. And so I think uh, social media is, you know, obviously the biggest culprit, right? And I think, you know, to me, social media, it's sort of like I would say, like it's become this preservative, hormone-filled, pumped-up chicken breast, right, of information consumption, right? And, um, you know, it's always on, it's always there, it's always convenient, you know, you eat, you know, you get a big, big piece of it, you can eat it whenever you want, and I think, for me, the first thing I did was I got rid of Twitter and Facebook from my phone, so I haven't, I haven't left platforms, I'm on it, I just got rid of it on my phone, and, um, and even Google News for that matter, right, and the idea being that whether it's like curated news or it's social news, you know, if it is really something that, you know, the world's going to fall apart, like, I'll find out, right? My, I'll find out. My wife will send me a message. I'll, I'll, I'll hit swipe on my phone on that news that gets pushed. You know, something will come and I'll find out. But I needed to get out of this, you know, mode because I think over time, not from the time you and I sort of dabbled early on with social media, but I think the quality of curation has just plummeted on, on social media, right? Yeah. And so, um, so anyway, so remove those two things and, um, 90% of what I consume now is actually podcasts, which is why I was super excited about you, you know, inviting me to come and chat because the first time I'm on the other side of the spectrum, right? But, you know, me being able to really sort of replenish my thinking, my opinion about, you know, how successful companies run, how employees perform well has been about going into, you know, a podcast has been my chosen medium. But I also think it's because, you know, just the way you're doing this show, the medium and the maturity of the medium has changed and people have yeah. moved to have a lot less production centric, but much more true conversation centric, like you and yeah. me sitting here eating the shit, right? Right. And so I have become just completely, you know, I'm glued to five or six of them. That I, and, and the good news is that the good ones like this show, um, they're timeless, right? In the sense that I can go back and listen to something that was done a year ago and I could learn something from it. Like it's not yeah. about, hey, let's talk about the acquisition yesterday. No about this kind of conversation. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, that's been one really, really, really big one. And I've got, you know, a couple and I, and I'm very careful about how many I had, but you know, I've got a few of them that fit in my day really nicely. I have a morning routine. I listen to one and you know, when I'm driving, I'm listening to them. And so I just feel like my, like that sort of accelerated my, my personal need to sort of stay in that growth mindset. Right. Um, I think the second thing, honestly, is just learning how to be more present. Um, you know, when I look at the things I'm most proud of when I was running, you know, those two, the two roles, we've been talking more about the success factors, one of the, no one, you know, the things that I'm most proud of, and in some cases, they directly led to benefit for the business. In other cases, they didn't, but that doesn't really matter. The things I'm most proud about are when I was super present in the moment, right? An employee coming, wanting to talk to me about an idea or talk to me about something that's bugging them or me being at the, in the kitchen at the water cooler and, and I'm looking at an employee and I'm like, I know you do, like you're just not yourself. And being able to just sort of deal with the parcel situations. Um, 
the same goes uh, for customers as well, right? Like I picked on employees, but literally you could do all those things with your customers as well. Yeah. Um, same goes for a market you're trying to penetrate. Like, are you really present and looking at the undercurrents, the changes, the who's coming from the outside, who's got, who's taking the side swipe, right? Um, I, I, I do a lot to get better at that. And then in my last couple of quarters at Kahuna, you know, which were pretty stressful. Um, I started, my son is a competitive squash player. I was just a bit of a humble guy. He's, you know, nationally ranked. Um, he's 13 years old and he, uh, he uses headspace every day um, uh, to meditate. And it's his mm-hmm. way of just sort of resetting the day after hours of training. And he got me onto it. And, you know, the, the way, you know, the ability to take five minutes, not even 10, not even 15, five minutes a day, maybe twice a day, and be able to just reset moments allowed me to just be able to sort of stay in the box I wanted to stay in. And so with a little more time in my hands now, I obviously do, you know, do a little bit of that, but it's also small things like just being present in other situations, right? Like when you're walking down the street, it's just training your mind to be present so that when I get back to work, I'll have more of that in the work setting. Um, be that being good at work or taking a break from work, right? And just be able to yeah. come back to the problem with the kids. Um, so, you know, those are kind of the two, the two, um, those are the two big ones. I think the other one too is, um, you know, I was a nationally ranked athlete all my life. Um, uh, so much of my success has got to do with how I prepared for tournaments, how I conducted myself, how I dealt with the loss, how I dealt with the victory. And I think just taking stock of that and bringing that back to the surface, because that is my way of. That's how I compete. That's how I prepare for a board meeting. That's how I prepare for a customer pitch. I literally go back to the behaviors that I would exhibit before a huge national championship, right? You know, my water consumption goes up. I work out twice as hard. My coffee consumption and alcohol consumption is up. Like I literally do those things like I'm going to put my, take my squash gear and walk out the door when I'm not. I'm taking a laptop. Yeah. Yeah. and I've also immersed myself in a whole bunch of really good podcasts that are, you know, there's one called Champion Minded by a guy called Alistair McCall, which is an amazing one. Uh, he is a mental coach to, you know, Kevin Anderson at Wimbledon, at Squash National World Champions. Uh, and he interviews them. And, and it's, it's, been re- it's been a really good way to just sort of, you know, everybody's driven by something else, some moment, something in your life shaped you, right? That's what shaped me. And so I constantly look at like, how do I bring that back? Um, and then the last thing is, you know, I've been fortunate through just an amazing set of investors that I had the privilege to work with, you know, at Kahuna, who just, you know, they've, between the, their own portfolio companies and their networks have just got me in front of a bunch of other companies that I'm doing some advisory work. I'm not that kind of guy who goes and puts advisor and investor on his, you know, LinkedIn profile, but like I've got a couple that just sort of jogs my mind and pushes me to think about it. So, you know, everything, and it goes without saying I'm playing four squash four times a week and I'm fit and all of that, (laughs) but I'm driven more by these things because I think these things will, playing sports is a given. This is what will get me ready to crush it on the next level. Well, and, and I'm going to recap us here because we're, we're running out of time. And unfortunately, I think you and I could talk for a couple hours and just sort of keep going and, and keep diving in. Um, but I also know the sort of duration of what the audience will listen to. So, you know, I'm going to recap on a couple of things. So one, you know, we, we started off talking about you having both a point of view and a presence and, you know, brand is this personal brands and overused term, but 
what you really did was you came in early on and you established a voice for yourself that was your point of view on things in the marketplace. And you, you built off of that and moved into a role that was non-traditional that you allowed yourself to um, be put in and you took a risk to go do it and you found, sought out, and won mentors, advisors, and people to come in and help you and, and to prove that path. Then you move from there and you have a you know successful career. You then take the opportunity and again, same thing, the risk to go into something different, slightly change of pace in what you had done before. Um, and you took that first time CEO role and I loved what you were saying about listening to the people around you, identifying what's really happening and having a true sense of that and really coming in and establishing yourself on day one and the presence and what that looks like. Yep. And then, you know, the last piece is coming down and then taking this breath. And I love that you're using that instead of break, because honestly, what you are doing now is you're strengthening your skills, your perspective. You're not just sitting here and going, I'm going to catch up on my soaps. You're not looking at this as I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go on vacation to Mexico for six months. Like you, you're going to take those breaks, but what you're also doing is finding ways to connect with the things that are really important to you to use that as a springboard for yourself going forward. So you're, you're staying tuned with, you know, advisor work and working with companies, but you're listening to podcasts, you're meditating, you're building on yourself and you're using those things as that sort of core leverage to move yourself forward. And again, I, I think this is so critical with organizations, with people as they start thinking about this time in between having these little times to take this breath and to yeah. use this not as, okay, I just need to decompress and lose some stress. It's how do I use this to propel myself going forward? And I have no doubts that you're going to do it for the next thing you, you land in. That's um, yeah. I think, I think that capture, I think that captures it. You know, it's, it's my, it's my, uh, it's my way, right? It's my way of doing it. There's probably plenty of recipes for the stuff, but I made a concerted effort to do these things in this time off. Um, and I know this much that if I had to take over, you know, a new role in the next two weeks, I would look back and be super happy about how I uh, used it. Yeah. Well, listen, one of the things that's great about this, and again, we're going to wrap up here in a second, but what's great about the podcast, what's great about the conversational style, what's great about having someone like you come in here and be really honest. I mean, really transparent again, overused word, but yeah. really honest about how you got to where you were and how your career has transitioned and, and been forthright about, you know, what worked and maybe some things that were just like life happened, you know, things sort of worked out, the, the tumblers all clicked at the right place at the right yeah. time and allowed you, you know, we're under exactly, you know, yeah, exactly. Right. But you, but how you navigated your way through this and how you found success was really based on you having this honest conversation. What's so valuable at this as a format is somewhere out there is someone who's not in the exact same space. Maybe they're not in Silicon Valley. Maybe they don't have your, your career background. Maybe they, they aren't professional squash players, yeah. right? They haven't done all of that, but they're sitting down and they're like, what do I do in my in-between time? How do I think about taking on my first big new role to come lead an organization? How do I transition myself from what's been a traditional path for me into something that's wildly different? And there's something in here from what you've done that translates and is portable for them and is really sage sound advice that they can take and then incorporate into their own lives. And that's why I think this is such a valuable format. 
That would be amazing. If that, if something that happened to even two people, I would say we succeeded. <laughs> okay. All right. So then here's, here's the challenge for everyone listening to this. If you hear something from this, I want your Perfect. feedback to say, I heard something great from Samir and I'm going to go ahead and use this and incorporate it in my life. And I, I'm going to guarantee over the next couple of months, we're going to get more than two people that come in and go, I got something good out of this. So you set a low bar, we're going to exceed it. And I think we're going to have a, you know, a phenomenal response from people as they, as they react to this. So Samir, thank you for, for hopping on. We went a little bit over, but I really appreciate the, the time, effort, and energy you put into this. I so enjoyed the conversation. It's always great catching up with you and connecting with you. And I really appreciate it. And I said it before a minute ago, how honest and forthright you were about you know, how you've gone through this career progression and what you're doing now and what this looks like for you. I uh, wish you every success from the sidelines and uh, want to continue to hear and work with you on you know, what you're doing next and, and always enjoy having the opportunity to chat with you. Awesome. Well, thank you. Likewise, and I love what you're doing and keep, keep, keep taking the swings you're taking. This is really useful stuff. Thank love you. it. Thanks. Thanks for listening today. Samir is fantastic. I love his idea of, as we talked earlier, emotional equilibrium, hard to say, roll off the tongue. And his idea of finding that balance within the culture and the leadership team. Um, I also just love this idea of him thinking through these transitions of being able to move into that first big role at SAP, um, coming up with a plan and how he was going to manage his first 30 days in these roles, and then coming up with something more concrete along the way, and then how he embraced this role as a first-time CEO and then embraced his transition out of it, and how he's approaching that time in between roles to really look at himself on an emotional, spiritual, mental, philosophical level and really ask all of those tough questions that I think many of us would love to have the opportunity to ask. If you'd like to follow Samir, and I suggest you do, pretty easy. You can find him on pretzellogic.org. That's pretzellogic.org. Or on Twitter at Samir Patel. And that's S-A-M-E-E-R P-A-T-E-L, Samir Patel. Uh, if you also would like to hear more types of interviews like we've done with Samir, please follow along in the podcast. Just click that subscribe button on your favorite platform. And if you really want to go in deep, I suggest you get the book Beyond Product. That's right, Beyond Product. You can find it on foundersplace.co or you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your favorite bookseller. Beyond Product goes in deep and understands how founders, CEOs, and executives look at those five stages of growth across your organizations, what things they need to focus on, and how they can find actionable steps to manage their growth and bring their great idea to life. Pick up a copy today. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you again next week. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.